Infinity presents a new chapter in luxury. The premiere of the all-new 2025 Infinity QX80. Live March 20th from the Edge at Hudson Yards in New York City. Featuring a performance by John Batiste. The all-new 2025 Infiniti QX80 is an SUV designed to help every passenger feel just right. Be the first to see it March 20th at 7 p.m. Eastern, only on iHeartRadio's YouTube channel. Save the date at new-qx80.com. Don't miss it. 2025 QX80 coming this summer. Hey, everyone. It's Ted from Consumer Cellular, the guy in the orange sweater, and this is your wake-up call. If you're paying too much for wireless service, you don't have to keep having that nightmare. Consumer Cellular has the same fast, reliable coverage as the leading carriers for up to half the cost. So why keep spending more than you have to? Seriously, wake up and call 1-888-FREEDOM or visit ConsumerCellular.com. Savings based on cost of Consumer Cellular's single line 1, 5, and 10 gig data plans with unlimited talk and text compared to lowest cost single line postpaid unlimited talk text and data plans offered by T-Mobile and Verizon January 2024. Hi, it's Gabby Reese, and this podcast is powered by Laird Superfood. It was created in our kitchen by my husband, big wave surfer Laird Hamilton, and it all started with a simple idea. What began as Laird's secret for long-lasting energy on the waves is now Laird Superfood, offering a full range of delicious plant-based creamers, coffee, greens, and more. Visit LairdSuperfood.com and use the code GABBY2024 and save 20% on your first order. One of the graduate students says, well, you talk about all this focus on creating value for others. Isn't that a little naive? He said, I mean... Shouldn't you just, you got to maximize your profit. Oh my gosh. I said, well, maybe, maybe it is a little naive, but it's, it's working pretty well for us. Hello, and welcome to the psychology podcast. In this episode, my guest is Charles Koch. Charles Koch is chairman and CEO of Koch Industries, one of the largest privately held American companies. During his tenure with the company, the estimated value has grown from $21 million to more than $100 billion. Charles has published several books detailing his business philosophy, including The Science of Success, Good Profit, and Believe in People. As an influential philanthropist, he supports education, a community of organizations addressing persistent poverty, and public policy research focused on developing effective solutions to societal problems. He has founded numerous organizations, including Stand Together and the Cato Institute, and he holds two master's degrees in nuclear and chemical engineering from MIT, and he lives in Wichita, Kansas with his wife Liz. In this episode, I talked to Charles about his bottom-up approach to social change. Charles recognizes that each individual has a gift. Schools and organizations should cultivate these unique strengths instead of trying to force people into molds. Charles asserts that institutions can create more meaningful value this way by truly believing in people. We also touch on the topics of multiple intelligences, self-actualization, education, innovation, and philanthropy. So it's my great pleasure to bring you Charles Koch. How you doing? Hey, this is an honor. Oh, it's an honor to talk to you. I've wanted to talk to you for such a long time. Well, yeah. I mean, I thanked, uh, I thanked Elizabeth for sending me your book in the first place, and and now I got to thank you for writing it, for goodness sake. <laughs> oh, wow. You know, I heard that you liked my footnotes. Well, I liked, uh, I liked it all, but, but those footnotes were so powerful, particularly about uh, Maslow's mother. And that, that made me think more deeply about my parents and, and what I learned from them that I wanted to use and what I didn't want to use. So it wasn't this, I hated everything, but I, certain things I didn't like, and, and we can get into that if you want, because I think that, that kind of forms. Uh, I want to get into uh, it. I, I consider the interview started, <laughs> you know? Oh, as it started. Okay. Yeah, because, you know, like we're just having fun here, you know, we're just going to, we're going to nerd Absolutely. out on all of our mutual interests. But I, so I definitely want to hear about this. Do you remember, do you remember which footnote uh, in particular, or just, you know, his, he talked about his complicated relationship with his mother, you know? Well, yeah, there were many, many other footnotes in there that I, but that was the one that really gripped me because I had no idea that he, he hated, as he put it, he hated everything she stood for. Yeah, so I think that is so cool because, you know, he had a lot of these insights mostly in the last two years of his life, you know? And that's the really interesting thing. Interesting that's thing. what he said. He said, yeah. it took me 61 years yeah. to figure this out? Yeah, and, and he only lived uh, to 62. 
you know? So that was that was the last couple of years of his life. He was having all these transcendent awakenings, we can call them. Didn't he die in in 1970? Yes. June 8th, 1970. That's how much of a nerd I am that I know. Oh, that. So he was born in 08. Yeah, correct. 08. He was born. So, in, so he right. was almost identical to my mother's age. She was born in 07. You're good at math, Charles. Yeah, no, that was, you just the, did that that was the one thing I was good at. You just did that computation on the spot, 1908. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I know, I know, and I know that you also. We also we have, we have so much to nerd out on today because I know you also really like multiple intelligence theory, and you have identified yourself as logical mathematical intelligence. But do you know? Did you know that I did my PhD with Robert Sternberg? No, I didn't. I should actually say, have you ever come across Robert Sternberg's work? No, no, I haven't. So um, Sternberg and Gardner uh, were the two big ones who redefined intelligence in the 80s and 90s. So Gardner, uh, you obviously know, and frames of mind for our listeners, he had the multiple intelligence theory. But but Robert Sternberg has a little bit of a different theory. I'd love to just let's let's see what you think of his theory. So he has analytical intelligence creative intelligence and practical intelligence. And he argues those three are different kinds of intelligence. Let me just ask you, do you see that kind of pull apart? Do you think you're better at analytical than practical, for instance, or creative more than anything else? Like, do you see them come apart with you at all? Well, I've I've got a different theory than, than all of them in that I think everyone's intelligence is unique to them. Mm. And that's my personal experience because uh, my father and one of my brothers and I all were really good at math and and logic, and and they were both very good engineers. And although I got three degrees in engineering, I sucked as an engineer. I mean, I really sucked. I couldn't. You'd think, okay, I was good at all the theory. You know, I'm th- six years at MIT. Mm. But I, I wasn't good at making or operating anything. So how could I be an engineer? So you weren't a good but I, I was good at the math and the science, hmm. and I love thermodynamics. And, and, and that's a big, as maybe you've seen, I, I use that in everything, in hmm. our management, everything. And that is, as many of the top scientists say, that is probably the most fundamental law of nature is the second law of thermodynamics and entropy is always virtually always increasing. I agree. I, you know, when I saw that in your book, you said that you liked entropy. I made a note that I wanted to talk to you about that because I, yeah, I noticed that was in yeah, your yeah, book. You saw it, bro. Okay. okay. This oh yeah. This is really amazing. There, we already started this interview and we have like four threads that we could, that are really interesting. Well, may, may I finish yeah. though, the, oh, my do. point on the, yeah. on the, on the difference in, in intelligence. So I knew I wouldn't be good at enduring, so I kept ex- trying to, ex- I kept experimenting. And that's what it's about. Finding your gift is not somebody can tell you, oh, you have this intelligence, you go take an aptitude test. Mm. I mean, that might help, but you've got to go experiment to what turns you on and what enables you to contribute, do things that will turn you on, will, 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 make you excited, wake up at night wanting to do more of it and contribute and that others will value. So you're contributing to the lives of others through that. And when you have that combination, I mean, and that's what happened to me, but not through engineering. If I said, when I, mm-hmm. when my father persuaded me to come back and, and run our, our what, what was small business at the time, I mean, I was successful at helping that because it was in bad shape because he had such bad health, as as you saw, I, I wrote about. Mm. But I was, as Maslow said, I wasn't developing my capacities. I felt with this huge void. And I, I know I have a capacity to do more, so I've got to find it. So I started studying every discipline and history to find what I call principles of human progress, principles of human flourishing. And that's how I, I found Maslow and and Howard Gardner, but I also found Polanyi and Mises and Hayek and, and you name it. And, and each one, I wouldn't take what they said literally. I would then try to, to find arguments against it mm. because as uh, who said uh, that 
If you know only your side of the case, you know little of that. I like it. I don't know who said it. <laughs> yeah. That's, uh, well, it'll come to me. So I did that. And as I, I started finding these principles, mm. then I, I, I had to apply them in every aspect of my life, find out how to apply them in business, in our family, in my other relationships, in my charitable work, in everything. And as I did in each area, I would learn things that would help me in the other aspects of my life. So that was my real gift. It's not that I'm, I'm better at math than some mathematician or nearly as good or better at science than some. No, I'm not. But what I'm good at is taking abstract principles and applying them to get results. Yeah, that's still a gift. And that's, but that was through trial and error, a lot of failures. And then finding principles in the different disciplines that were consistent, like what in economics fits psychology, fits what in philosophy fits in sociology, that's reinforcing, and that worked through history that made people's lives better. Well, you know, I'm always so curious in kind of the the seeds of this stuff because you said a lot of it was trial and error, which is certainly true. But you also had a gift and a knack for it. You said in your book that even at age three or so or three or four, you realized that you enjoyed math and you were better than the other kids in the school at math. Isn't that right? It was a, th a third grade. Yeah, yeah. third grade. Seven. Yeah. yeah. So there, there, you know, there are some seeds of our, even the interests we can say. You know, a lot of you see with these prodigies, even in very young, they have this rage to master. You've had a rage to master in in uh, in, in multiple things, right? I mean, you also had a rage to master and understand um, the principles of helping to bring out the best in your employees when you had this major transformation. Though we could talk about that little transformation a bit, or that huge transformation. You said, my task was clear. Change the company's culture to one of empowerment, not control. Can you tell me a little bit about before what Coke Industries was like right before that? Because you said you had some failures before that, and then what this trans what led to that transformation? Well, well Coke Industries back back well when I joined it wasn't Coke Industries. We mm -hmm. had two businesses. One was a Rock Island Oil Company, and the other was called Coke Engineering. And Rock Island Oil had a gathering crude oil gathering system in southern Oklahoma. That is, it took oil from the lease and took it a relatively short distance to a major pipeline. Mm -hmm. And so we'd get a small fee for that. And, but that was a good business, but it was stagnant. And they limited it to just doing it there. And so we said, I fortunately had a great partner who I wrote about who was wonderful. He grew up in a tent and was born in a tent in an oil field had all kinds of ailments, never finished college, and he was terrific, mm. terrific with people as an entrepreneur. And, and that's part of, of our philosophy now. We don't, we don't look for credentials. We look for somebody with a gift that can help us create value for others and who's, paraphrase uh, Maslow, who's contribution motivated. Yeah. Yeah. wants to succeed by contributing rather than manipulating or hurting others or or falsely making themselves look good. And anyway, so we made that much more entrepreneurial and spread and became the largest crude oil gatherer in North America. And then now we've sold that business and, and we're out of it. And then the other was, was Coke Engineering, where we made internals for distillation columns. You know, a chemical plant or refinery, you see these columns? Mm. What well, has internals in them that cause the separation by difference in boiling points? And that business was stagnant, mm. just like the other one was. And it was top down and going nowhere. Matter of fact, it was break even. It wasn't making any money. So we started applying some of these humanistic concepts and good economic thinking, combining those two, and it just took off. And, and then we applied the what I call virtuous cycles of mutual benefit, which is my way of applying a, 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 the process of self-actualizing to an organization. And so I look at creating virtuous cycles of mutual benefit by an individual 
is the process of self-actualizing. I love it. Charles, that sounds to me like this notion of synergy that Maslow talked about, which he actually got from Ruth Benedict, the anthropologist. I actually yeah, I saw that in your book. I, saw- See, I learned a lot from your book. <laughs> I, love I like to think I knew all this stuff, but I didn't. You've, you've educated me. Well, I- and Elizabeth is great. She's, you know, this is a great thing. Yeah. Uh, having kids that now are educating me more than I'm educating them. I mean, that's just... Well, it doesn't get any better than that. I absolutely adore your daughter, Elizabeth Koch. She is amazing. She is awesome. So I just really want to put that on the record. But yeah, you know, I I love this idea of synergy and I, I love that you love it too, you know, but a lot of people aren't talking about it. A lot of people have false notions or a false dichotomy between selfish and the unselfish. That Yeah, let, yeah. let me tell you, when, when I published Good Profit, then since I, I spent all this time at MIT, the the dean of the business school at MIT wanted to come and interview me in front of the students and, and they could ask questions. So he was interviewing me. And then during the Q&A, one of the graduate students says, well, you talk about all this focus on creating value for others. Isn't that a little naive? He said, I mean, shouldn't you just, you got to maximize your profit. Oh my gosh. I said, well, maybe maybe it is a little naive, but it's it's working pretty well for us. And is that more naive, or it's more naive just to think about yourself? What's you? Then why is anybody going to want to do business with you? And it's not just if you're just thinking about yourself and not the value you create for all those who are important to you. And not just your customers, but how about your your employees? How about your suppliers? Do you want to just beat them down as a lot of companies do rather than reward them for innovating and help you succeed? And how about your communities? And how about society as a whole? If you don't worry, if you don't have good stewardship that is acting in a way that with due regard for the rights of others, they're not going to want you to exist. Mm. So you have to you have to focus on creating value for others and then and focus in areas where you have the capability to do that. And that's the same for an individual and an organization, and we would hope a society. Preach, brother. <laughs> preach. I love I'm it. Not preaching. I just, you know, I get I wound know. up. On no, I know stuff. you're not, but I'm saying I, I love it. You can keep going all day. Hey everyone. I'm excited to announce that the eight week online transcend course is back. Become certified in learning the latest science of human potential and learn how to live a more fulfilling, meaningful, creative, and self-actualized life. The course starts March 13th of this year and goes until May 1st. The course includes more than 10 hours of recorded lectures, four live group Q&A sessions with me, four small group sessions with our world-class faculty, a plethora of resources and articles to support your learning, and an exclusive workbook of growth challenges that we think will help you overcome your deepest fears and grow as a whole person. There are even some personalized self-actualization coaching spots with me available as an add-on. Save your spot today by going to transcendcourse.com. That's transcendcourse.com. We have so much fun in this course, and I look forward to welcoming you to be a part of the Transcender community. Okay, now back to the show. I was wondering during the course of your career, when has there been a conflict? Can you think of any examples in your life where there was a an opportunity presented to you or something that directly, because that's when we're, we kind of uh, are most authentic, right? When it's challenged, not when it's not challenged. So yeah, I was just wondering if you had any examples of that in your life when you're, some of these fundamental principles of yours have been challenged and you had to make a tough decision. Well, we have uh, failed and continually failed to fully apply our principles mm. and our success and so, yeah, we've had many failures. I write in the books about shipping, about dealing, not dealing with employees, uh, narcissistic employees mm. who have the idealized self. And the more feedback we give them, then the more destructive. So we need to apply the principle. They need to go somewhere else and get treatment. We can't. We can't do it. The more we try to help them, the worse they get. So. So that's a violation. And then 
safety problems, particularly with companies we acquired, but with our own. And I remember preaching about, boy, we, we're having safety problems and other problems. We got to do better. And just preaching rather than really getting in and intervening. And when we started having it affect their bonus and their position and their authority, then they started to change. Mm. So there have to be consequences to people. They have to be accountability. It can't just be lecturing. And that's a big mistake we made with our, our framework and applying these principles. You know, I thought, okay, we just talk and everybody will get it and be turned on by all the, the concepts like I am. And that doesn't work. I mean, it works for some, but for most people, there have to be accountability. They have to have a cost mm. to this behavior. And then they say, okay, now I get it. You know, one way of phrasing that I would say is, yeah, motivating from within. And I think that this is really relevant to your really great distinction that you make between top-down and bottom-up organizations. You said top-down earlier, but I thought it'd be worth it to uh, to actually explain a little bit to our audience what you mean by that difference. So could you please explain what bottom-up and top-down means in your, in your model? Right. Well, yes. Uh, top-down, it's what Hayek called the fatal conceit, mm. that you think you know better than everybody how to do their job, how to run their lives, everything. So, so rather than empower them and use their knowledge and help them develop and, and, uh, and realize their potential and have meaning in their lives and get excited about what they're doing and so they can innovate, you stifle, you, tr you control and stifle them and make them dependent on you. And we see that everywhere. And I, I'll give you some, I mean, for example, the use of technology today, there are some companies who use it like in certain manual jobs to time them mm -hmm. and watch their motions. And then they go in and intervene, no, if you, if you move this way, you can do it quicker and, and do everything faster. And I mean, that's like treating people as a slave. Is that like McGregor's Theory X? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. And so that's still out there. And so we've invested heavily in technology, but we try to use it to empower people to make the people's jobs interesting. Hmm. And so they get get turned on. I, I, and I, I'll give you an example of this uh, This. Uh, uh, individual named Pedro was working in the night shift in the building, cleaning the building, and he wanted something better. And he said, "God, there's no future in this." So he he took a job much higher pay, breaking up concrete. He was getting twenty five dollars an hour, and he said, uh, "He said this is going nowhere, and I hate this." Mm. So he said, "I'm going to get a a job that." where I can learn. And as I learn, then I can have a more fulfilling work and, mm -hmm. and fully use my and develop my abilities. And so he got a job uh, with doing manual work on a, a laser cutting business. Mm -hmm. And as he, as he started in that, he started to, to gain more skills. So he said, oh, I want to go back to Coke because they will give me the opportunity then develop now that I've got a track where that leads somewhere. So he came back and now he's a programmer for these laser systems. Because mm, he had that. a gift in that, which he never knew. And so that, that's why I say we don't hire on credentials. We hire on, on values and talent. And that is being contribution motivated and you've got some talent uh, that will help us create value, then, then we want you here. That, as a matter of fact, the head of our IT security uh, never graduated from college. Wow. And he's terrific. Yeah. So I'm really glad that you bring that up. And, and also the, uh, the idea of giving opportunities to really talented and contribution motivated people who wouldn't ordinarily have those opportunities. I know you're deeply interested in that. You point out in your book 
the tragic realities of the deterioration of core institutions that people rely on, even in the toughest times. You write, America's on a trajectory toward a two-tiered society, one in which fewer people get ahead and more people fall behind. I know you are deeply interested in helping the people who are falling behind. I was just wondering some to hear some of your thoughts on how we can, because this is definitely an area of mutual interest of ours, is all these people falling between the cracks or people who have these amazing talents and people who are just contribution motivated. They don't even need, I, I would argue that the talent is not even as important as, the, I, would, I, I prefer the contribution motivated part. You know, how can we get them more opportunities in society and get them more seen and, uh, and resources? We need to, to show both uh, educators and business people mm. that that there there's a better way and this top-down one-size-fits-all like our education system that teach to test run it on averages rather than an individualized education that helps each person find their gift and uh, and there's a little book on that which i i have right here somewhere called uh, called unschooling rules <laughs> by Aldrich and and in it he says education ought to be three-dimensional mm. that is you learn to be that is you learn who you are and then you learn to learn you learn the things that will that you need to know to contribute and develop and then you need to learn how to apply and that's what I did. Okay, I learned that that I had these gifts in this narrow area, and I wasn't good. Now, the other thing that's important is to learn what you're not good at. And I learned through trial and error all the different jobs I had and, and all the things I wasn't good at. And then I learned it through studying engineering. I wasn't good at that. But it took me 20 years of, of, of floundering around in the wilderness to find my particular gift, which is applying these abstract concepts to help organizations get results and get results by contributing to others. And, but it took me 20 years and like my, my daughter and son, you know, I, I taught all this stuff to them when they were little or most of it. <laughs> and, and then it took them to find their own unique path that would be fulfilling to them and give meaning in their lives and let them fully realize their potential. And now they found it and they're both just, they're blowing me away. I, as I tell them both, you all at your age are doing much more and much better than I did at your age. Yeah. Well, you know, they were obviously were very fortunate to have the economic resources to realize that potential. I want to just zoom in on my question a little bit more before that question goes away. You know, how can we like lots of these kinds of kids that have these potentials are contribution motivated, but are just schools where their 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 safety needs are their top priority. How can we get them more thinking about growth? Well, that's what we're we're doing through through this uh, charitable community that uh, that we're involved in uh, we we support uh, i would say hundreds of experiments in education mm. to find that and find things that would connect and we have one that lives my wife and i started 30 years ago called empowered it used to be called youth entrepreneurs mm. but it, in that it was uh it was to to help particularly in, in schools in troubled neighborhoods, to go into there and offer a class that taught them the basics of success mm -hmm. and to help them find their gift, then have them prepare a business plan based on something that have a passion for, and then pr the ones that, that look good provide a little seed capital, maybe $100 or a few hundred dollars so they could start and then they find their gifts, find how to apply it, and start to believe in themselves. Because a lot of these are considered throwaway kids, as they call them. Yeah. And there's no one who's the throwaway. So I, I, I just want an example of this of this girl named April. She was one of the winners, and she told the story at graduation how she was failing everything. Her her, her mother was into drugs. Her father was gone. Her uh, brother was shot. 
and someone in, was in prison. And so she thought it was hopeless. So she was failing everything. And she comes to this. She hears about this class where you, maybe you can get some money. So that's good. She wants to get some money. And she says, wow, to get money, I've got to learn how to, to prepare a business plan. So I got to learn how to write and speak. I've got to, if I have a business, I've got to learn math or I won't be able to see what's working and what's not. And if I want to have customers and people work for them, I got to start people treating people with respect. And she said, it transformed my life. Mm. And I started getting straight A's. Mm. And that's the waste we're seeing with the current system. Yeah. And so, so we've, we broaden that to what we call empower, to empower show the teachers there's a better way. And that is, it's, it's this three-dimensional education <laughs> to help them learn who they are, where they have an aptitude, where they have a passion, then learn all the things that are necessary. It's like my father used to tell me when I was little, he said, son, learn everything you can because you never know whether it'll come in handy. <laughs> Then learn how to apply it in a way that in a way that other people will value and reward you for it. So then you have the mutual benefit. And and this is what Maslow said so well. He said, in when when you have this kind of management in a company as well, mm. where a company tries to do that, it's revolutionary. And he said it was, you remember he said that it was that education was the most important thing. And now he says, well, maybe business yeah. because then everybody has got to work somewhere. And when they do in this kind of atmosphere, it changes their whole being and their whole approach when they have this opportunity to find their gift and apply it. So, so what we do now is the number one job of every supervisor, and we have like 20-some thousand supervisors in our company, is to help their people self-actualize. Oh, uh, I love it. And, and, what that, and what that means is that they've got to help them find a gift and a passion. So design a role around them, not stick them in a role in something they're not good at and hate, and then punish them for that. When when we got when somebody's trying hard and they're failing, we we take it, it. That's our fault. We've if you know if, now if you're not trying and you don't give a damn and you're destructive, then that's different. But if you're trying, then we've got to we're going to find a role for you where you can succeed. Oh. And then to mentor them and give them the tools. And this is what I what technology is doing now to give them the tools and information so they can be more independent. They can, as Maslow said, they can have ownership for what they're doing, have more authority, and then they really get turned on. And I can't tell you, I mean, like, like I told you about Pedro, we have so many examples now where either the employee took the initiative I don't like this role, I, but if I'm in this, I think I'll be turned on. And then we try them in that and it works. And they said, now I know what you mean by being self-actualized. Or it can be some supervisor sees them and they have a talent that they could use better in a different role. Mm -hmm. So we're now we're building this, I'm, saying, I'm not saying we're perfect, we have a long way to go. But, but where we get that, I mean, the results just go through the roof. I love that. I love that. I'm really interested in transforming teachers and their purpose from teachers to self-actualization coaches. And Absolutely. I'm really trying to build up a coaching program for teachers that teaches them the latest principles of human development and human potential so that they can spot the strengths. And also the managers and supervisors, sounds like you're training them over there to be self-actualization coaches as well. So if we target it from both ends, you know, uh, we, you know, right. we go a long way. And we're, and that's what, that's what we're trying to do in, in our education experiments mm. too. And uh, I mean, and that's what, uh, what uh, youth entrepreneurs now being empowered is. That's what it is. 
and then we're working with Saul Khan. Have you oh, have you yeah. looked at him, Saul Khan? Yeah, yeah, he's great. So, so we we have a partnership with him to take his materials and combine that with a coach, hmm. a live coach, and these will be volunteers, like somebody is retired and they're looking for some way to contribute and they're good at math. So they would volunteer to help groups who are using Saul Khan stuff, but come in and, and tutor them. Or it could be a high school student who has a gift in match, come in and help them or, or somebody who's good verbally or good at, uh, at anything. And so now we're building this inventory and what we have, thousands of volunteers, people who are saying, I, I love this. This will be, this will be a blast. So we, we need to, we need to work more fully together. I know you've, you've, you've talked to some of our people that stand together, but mm -hmm. I think we're, we're absolutely on the same page here. I mean, a hundred percent. So um, when I was reading Believe in People, I basically, I could have under, I could have highlighted every sentence. <laughs> Like, I go, yes, yes, yes. I absolutely agree. And just how cool would that be to just transform education where teachers felt like their purpose wasn't just to manage the students, but to actually bring out the their best potential and just completely reframe the whole issue. Oh, it'd be so exciting, wouldn't it? Oh, yeah. No, that's that's our goal. Yeah, yeah. And then And then get businesses to stop hiring on credentials and start hiring on on values and and talent, and then and then find roles that that or design roles around people's talents rather than that sticking round pegs in square holes. Totally, I think uh, our mutual friend Todd Rose has a book with that title. Oh <laughs> yeah, no, Todd, we've been working for some time with yeah. Todd. I think, as you know, he does great work in the education great. space too. Yes. Yes. You know, I, I want to just shift for a second to uh, the all these divides we have right now, like the political divides. I really, really like your shift, your proposed shift from partisanship to partnership. <laughs> I love it. I love it. I'm going to actually yeah. read a quote before before I, I give the microphone for a second. I want to read one of your quotes that I loved. You said, sure. I'm still passionate about removing barriers in public policy, and that requires participating in politics, but not in the usual partisan way. A superior approach is partnership, cooperating with people to accomplish public policies that help improve people's lives, regardless of which political party our partners belong to. When did you start you know, having that idea about that paradigm shift, and, and how are you enacting that today, and who are you working with along these lines? Well, I always had it, but it was what I didn't live up to it. Hmm as Michael Polanyi pointed out, that innovations come from seeing gaps, mm -hmm. gaps between what you're doing and what you could be doing, mm -hmm. unmet needs. And so what we do is get every, we try to get every employee to realize that however well they're doing, they may be the best in the world, but there's a better way to do it. And the way you see the better way is by seeing, okay, here's what we're doing. And if we were fully applying our principles, what would we be doing differently? Mm. And then set up experiments to close that gap. And when we get people and groups doing that, it takes off. So go back to, to politics. I mean, I, I started studying these principles almost 60 years ago and applying them. And as I say, of trial and error, we'd fail in the way we were applying them. And then we'd learn something and, and do better. And then applying them in, uh, in our philanthropic work or, or social change work. Mm. And as we did, we realized we started, I started with education. We can do it with, as I said earlier, by educate. No, no, we got to change some of these policies. <laughs> There's policies are holding people back. So we, we've got to change. And so we worked on that for a while, but then we went, okay, the politicians aren't interested. We got to find politicians who will empower people, not try to control them and make them dependent mm. so they can get more power. And so then we got in politics and it looked like the only way to do that is, is pick a side. 
So we fell into that mm. and violated the principle of, of one of my heroes, Frederick Douglass, <laughs> unite with anybody to do right and no one to do wrong. And so I realized that, okay, we're not, well, I, I, I developed this idea, this principle on partnerships. The best partnerships are or when you find someone, you share vision and values and have complementary capabilities. Hmm. And all the good partnerships I've had that's that's made us successful, including my, my wonderful wife, we have those. We share vision and values and have complementary capabilities. That is, I'm only good at a narrow range at of things and she's good at everything else. So works out great for me. <laughs> can I read can I read a quote real quick? You said no one has changed my life more than my wife Liz. She is everything yeah. I'm not and everything I need. I just wanted to read that quote. <laughs> it's beautiful. No, no, that's that's so true. <laughs> and now my kids are doing that too. So I got I got a whole family that's shoring me up, which I, I, I sorely need. Yeah. Yeah. So anyway, yeah. so so we saw that that was that this this idea of partnerships. I I was applying that too broadly. Like we got to share, we got to have the same vision on on how society look as a whole. Well, no, we're. I mean, I don't agree with what I believe last year. <laughs> so I mean, I'm, yeah. I'm going to be by myself here pretty soon. Yeah. <laughs> So he said, no, no, we got to narrow down vision to a vision on a particular problem, mm. whether that's a criminal justice system, whether that's foreign policy, whether that's how to deal with poverty or addiction or the criminal justice, as, as I said. So once we narrowed that down, then, then that opened up that we can partner with almost anybody who really wants to help people. If they don't, if they just want power, then we don't share, really share vision and values. Hmm. Yeah, so you want to stick with your principles. So I just want to read some of these guiding principles you have. I just want to read the list. Integrity, stewardship and compliance, principled entrepreneurship, transformation, knowledge, humility, respect, and my favorite, self-actualization. Now, these are the principles of progress. I assume these are the principles you're referring to that you will reach across party lines with anyone who who shares these common principles. Is that right? Well, these are, yeah, these are central, but they're broader principles. For example, for society, just globally, what we would like is a society that we've never had in this country that fully lived up to the principles in the Declaration of Independence, mm. which putting in, put in my words, it's, it's a system, uh, have a system, a society based on equal rights and mutual benefit, where people succeed by contributing to others, and everyone has the opportunity to realize their potential and live a life of meaning by finding a calling that helps others. I love that. And you see these days, you see so much like greed and various forms of capitalism that, that I assume you you rail against and, you know, oh, yeah. yeah, yeah. Well, no, we're against all, all those policies. What, what we want are policies that empower people mm. and treat everybody equally and find ways to give everybody an opportunity to realize our potential. I know that we both love this quote from Maslow, what you can be, you must be. Oh yeah. No, it's, 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 it's my favorite. <laughs> I know it's your favorite. And, uh, you know, I, I, I'm just wondering like, how, how can we do this? You know, so many people, um, are so focused on their most pressing needs that they don't even see the possibilities with themselves is they can't, you know, they're not even aware that there's more to life, you know, there's more to them. Well, I think, I, I think we get everybody to read you psyche and management or now Maslow and management. And, you know, I was, that was one of the early books I read. It's, as I said, the two people that have influenced me, the two authors that have influenced me the most are, uh, are Maslow and Hayek mm -hmm. and pe people find that, but, but actually, they were after 
similar things. And so, so I was ordering Eusykian management continually until after the 1973 book was printed, it went out of print. So we went to Bertha and got approval to reprint it. And we had, we reprinted, um, here, I have a copy right well, here. First of all, you met Bertha? No, no, we didn't. Oh. I didn't meet her, but let me see. I, I, I can't tell where. Hold it up. Yeah, just hold it up. Hold it up. I'll take a picture. Yeah, got it. Oh, wow. You see where it says? <laughs> yes. It says, printed by Coke Industries wow. with permission from Bertha G. Maslow. Wow. So your, your, your team was in touch, direct touch with Bertha. Yeah. She was still yeah. alive. And wow. this was when it, whenever the 1973 printing yeah. went out of print, then we contacted her and got approval and printed several thousand of them and distributed to our employees. There is probably so much, you know, we'll grab a beer or something another day. There's probably so much we could nerd out about in that. There's so much in there, you know, in that particular thing because a lot of people haven't read. Have you read Maslow's journals by any chance? Yeah, I've got. Oh, I've my read, gosh. I got them right here. Oh, my gosh. Hold on. <laughs> now, I haven't read them all, but I've read I've read ah. parts of them. Yeah, I think me and you are the only ones in the world who have ever actually read Maslow's <laughs> personal diary. Let me tell you what else I got. I got uh, what else you got? I got the the uh, the, the further oh, yeah. reaches of human nature. Yeah, first edition. First and edition. Elizabeth found that for me in a used bookstore. Then I've got personality and growth, motivation and yep. personality, toward a psychology of being. Wow. Uh, and you have transcend. Yeah, I've got transcend. <laughs> I've got yours. And and I've got uh I've also got uh McGregor. Yep. The human side of enterprise. That was probably the first one I read. Uh and then I've got I've got Frankel's uh, book, oh. Man's Search for Me. Yeah. And as I, I, I said, in, I wrote in Good Profit. Uh, so Maslow and, uh, and Hayek are the two authors that have probably influenced me the most. And then the two, what I call social entrepreneurs that have influenced me, the most are Frederick Douglass mm -hmm. and Frankel. And the reason is that people talk about the hierarchy of needs and you got to work your way up. Well, it's possible to go directly under the worst conditions to realizing your potential and being contribution motivated. And Frankel and Frederick Douglass proved that. Mm. You remember the Frederick Douglass story? Or you you will know obviously more about Frankel the probably than Frederick Douglass, or maybe not. Frederick Douglass was a slave, right? He was a slave, yeah. yeah but here he was a he was a slave, a house slave in Baltimore when he was like eight and he saw the, the, the mistress teaching her, her kids to read. And so he went to her and teach me to read. And she said, okay, fine. She was doing it. And the husband came in and says, no, you can't teach him to read. He will be unfit to be a slave if he mm -hmm. learns to read. And so, so Frederick Douglass says, well, the reason I'm a slave. I'm, be, I'm enslaved is not that I'm inferior. It's I'm kept ignorant. So he ingeniously, I won't go in details, taught himself to read. And then when he was sent back to the plantation, when he was 16, he was allowed to teach Sunday school. But, and he was secretly teaching the, the other slaves to read. Hmm. And he says, and here's what he said. At last, I found a way to contribute. Uh, wow. It. Now that shows how powerful that yeah. is. And then when he escaped and, and he got his first job, it was moving a pile of coal and he got paid a dollar. He said, I'm not just a free man. I'm a free working man. <laughs> so, I mean, this, it, you know, it brings tears to your eyes. <laughs> These, and then Frankel, his experience in the death camps, and dedicating himself to helping others mm. rather than himself. And he said, that's what kept me alive because then I had meaning. I had purpose. 
That's why when he writes about meaning in your life and the importance, boy, he's someone to listen to. Well, both of them are. Hmm. So that's why I, I pay so much attention to it because they've lived. And that's our model for all the social entrepreneurs we we work with, we partner with, and there are over 200 of them for just dealing with poverty and other ailments. And those are all people who either experienced it personally or seen it firsthand. And it, I mean, it blows me away what these people have gone through and how dedicated they are as Frederick Douglass was not to get vengeance for the abuses against them, but to but to help prevent others from having gone through what they did. Hmm. I mean, that is, that, that is the ultimate in, in human nature. And so that's what, what I would hope for, to have a society of meaning where everybody found meaning in their lives. Hmm. I love it. Can you tell me a little bit about the hashtag give together now that uh, your organization stand together, put together? Yes. I mean, that was in to deal with, uh, with COVID mm. and yeah, we raised, I think over a hundred million for that. Can you explain a little bit, uh, what it was about? Well, yeah, it was, it was that a lot of these programs, it took a long time to get the money. It's when people need it to give it, to get it now. And these were, these weren't people who, who were just, didn't want to work or weren't doing it. These were people who were working their way out of poverty. And because of COVID, they were knocked back. And so give them enough to give them a leg up and then, and then develop communities where they helped each other. Mm. And if somebody needed something in this community, then they would help each other. So it was this whole concept of mutual benefit and dedicating yourself to helping others, even though you're in need, and to give them enough resources to be able to do that. So that's what it was based on. But it really got a response. Yeah, I love this idea of empowering everyone to be contribution motivated. And you had talked about, well, you asked this question, had universities, labs, businesses, and healthcare providers been able to fully contribute from the outset of the pandemic, as opposed to uh, distinguishing between essential workers and non-essential workers? Oh, yeah. How much better might the response have been? I thought that was a really, really important, powerful question you asked in your book. Yeah, no, absolutely. No. And once again, this is, I mean, for example, no one was allowed to privately develop the, the test. Hmm just the government agencies were, and their tests failed. So it put us back several months. And just if, if that had been allowed, I mean, be like the vaccines. These were a, a bunch of different people, different companies, different researchers doing it uh, on their own. No, they got help, but they were permitted to do it. And so that's what we need, a system of empowering everybody, because you don't know who's going to do it. Yeah. If you think you got all the answers or you're the smart people and everybody else is dumb, then you're dead. This is why this multiple intelligence theory so grabbed me hmm. because that's what I have found. I mean, I, I'm dumb in most ways, but I'm pretty smart in an area. And so what are you going to throw me out with the, the bathwater and throw everybody out who isn't good at whatever, whatever's in? I um, I want to send you a present. I want to send you a present after we. Uh, have you ever seen? Have you read my book on gifted intelligence redefined? No, no, I haven't. I'm going to send you a copy. So essentially, no, like, my theory no. of personal intelligence is that we need to unlock the potential people by drawing on their dreams and desires and engagement forms of engagement. So I think you're gonna you're gonna we're we're that's yet another thing for us to nerd out about someday. I will I will if 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 you want it, I would love to send you a copy. No, I'd love to. No, that's that's right down my alley. Here's here's something that that I I, I hadn't picked this up from you, Psych and Management, mm. and I, I I got out of your book. It says under ideal conditions, and I'll skip the the word here in the middle. There would be a mutual selection between the person and his self-actualizing work. 
his cause, responsibility, call, vocation, task, and so forth. So he said there is an interaction, a mutual suitability, like a good marriage or a good friendship, like being designed for each other. That's our goal in the company. Hmm. And, and obviously we can't, we don't, although in some areas we do, we've just helped people find new roles and some of them are, are giddy. They're so thrilled with their new role because the whole thing fits them rather than just a part of it fits them. Mm. And the results just are great, both for them and for everybody. Well, let me read you one of my favorite quotes. So, this, so thank you for this. Uh, we're going to start using this quote. See? Oh, did you read that so quote? We may have to start giving you a commission on, <laughs> on all our results. Is that um, a quote from Transcend? That I no, no, that's yeah, that is. Oh, yeah, that I recorded Maslow and it's, it's the title of it is The Why of Purpose. Gotcha. That's in your section gotcha. on purpose. Gotcha, gotcha. Okay, let me read to you a quote now. Okay, and this is a quote okay. by Charles Koch talking about his North Star. Quote My North Star remains a society in which individuals can realize their potential, a society of mutual benefit in which individuals succeed by creating value for others. It would be a more just, inclusive, prosperous, and peaceful society than any yet seen. Such a future is within our reach if all of us play our part, if all of us believe in people. I just want to thank you so much for the amazing contributions you, you've made in this world. And you said, quote, at age 85, I'm still busy being born. And I want to kind of give the last word to you to kind of tell me, you know, what are you busy being born doing these days? I am trying to better understand and apply principles and learn new principles. But but mainly, we we have I have over a hundred principles I I regularly use, wow. and and I'm constantly trying to find the gaps between what I'm doing. And what we as an organization are doing, and I constantly challenge all our people. Okay, okay, that's great, and I get criticized for this. Well, let's celebrate. Okay, I'll celebrate here for ten seconds, but now we got to work on how we do better. Yeah. The gap between what we're doing and what we could be doing to create value for others in a way that benefits all of us, mm. that's mutually beneficial, and. So that's, and then how do we do that in society? And so that's, uh, that's my life's work. And I, I, I have a long way to go. So I'm learning every day, trying to learn every day how to, how to do that better and how to be more effective. Because as we see in society, we've got a long way to go. Well, we sure do. And Maslow has this phrase, virtue pays. So it sounds like maybe a, a nice way of uh, improving society is to make virtue more of uh, build into the reward structure and the incentive structure of society than just profit. Yeah, I mean, his, his concept of synergy is right on. Mm. That's what we need, a society that rewards synergy. Charles, thank you so much for being on my podcast. This is a real delight for me to chat with you. Hey, thank you, Scott. Thanks for 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 having me and once again thanks even more for writing this book it was it really thank you got me jazzed up as you can tell <laughs> thank you thanks for listening to this episode of the psychology podcast if you'd like to react in some way to something you heard i encourage you to join in the discussion at thepsychologypodcast.com or on our youtube page the psychology podcast we also put up some videos of some episodes on our YouTube page as well, so you'll want to check that out. Thanks for being such a great supporter of the show, and tune in next time for more on the mind, brain, behavior, and creativity. Infinity presents a new chapter in luxury, the premiere of the all-new 2025 Infinity QX80, live March 20th from the Edge at Hudson Yards in New York City. Featuring a performance by John Batiste, the all-new 2025 Infiniti QX80 is an SUV designed to help every passenger feel just right. Be the first to see it March 20th at 7 p.m. Eastern, only on iHeartRadio's YouTube channel. Save the date at new-qx80.com. Don't miss it. 2025 QX80 coming this summer. This is Amy Brown from Four Things with Amy Brown. Today, Healthier is happening at CVS Health in more ways than you've ever seen. 
It's wellness destinations for seniors, including select locations with Oak Street Health and CVS Pharmacy. It's doctors, nurses, pharmacists, and everyone in between offering quality care and support virtually, in person, and on the phone. It's in-home evaluations through Signify Health and meeting mental health needs through Aetna. And those are just a few of the ways that Healthier is happening. To see more, visit cvshealth.com slash healthierhappenstogether. CVS Pharmacy, Oak Street Health, CVS Specialty, Signify Health, and Aetna are part of CVS Health. Eligibility and services vary by location and individual. Hi, I'm Gabby Reese. Join me and my husband, big wave surfer Laird Hamilton, on our journey with Laird Superfood. From our kitchen to yours, we've crafted delicious plant-based creamers, coffee, greens, and so much more using high-quality functional ingredients. Visit LairdSuperfood.com and use the code GABBY2024 for 20% off your first order.